Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder, gun violence, and violence against animals. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. You may not have heard the name Pat Garrett before, but you've certainly heard of men like him. He was one of the most notorious figures in America's Old West. And looking back on it, his entire life sounds like something out of a Western movie. Garrett spent time as both a cowboy and a sheriff, a farmer and a son of an enslaver, and most importantly, a killer and a victim. All he wanted in life was to become a hero, but all too often his rage and vengefulness led him down the path of a villain. Pat Garrett's life ended in 1908 when he was found dead on the side of a road somewhere just outside Las Cruces, New Mexico. One bullet had been shot through his stomach and another through his skull. Almost no one wondered why someone would want to kill him. They wondered why it took so long. Dozens of people had good reason to get back at him. The question was, who finally pulled the trigger? This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our first episode on Pat Garrett, the sheriff who assassinated one of the Wild West's most notorious outlaws. Throughout his life, he made countless enemies and accrued mountains of debt. And although he will always be remembered as a killer, the events surrounding his death remain shrouded in mystery. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Pat Garrett's life began simply. He was born Patrick Floyd Jarvis Garrett on June 5, 1850 in Clarendon County, Alabama. His family were modest farm folk who barely scraped by financially. By the time Garrett was five years old, his father was desperate to make more money. He'd heard there was more lucrative business down south. So in 1855, he convinced the family to move to Louisiana. And it seems like this was a smart move for the Garretts. 
Soon after they arrived in Claiborne Parish, they purchased an 1,800-acre cotton plantation, and by 1860, they were raking in profits. The value of the property had skyrocketed up to $40,000, which at the time was an eye-popping amount of money. Suddenly, the Garretts were in the upper class. But the family's wealth was painfully short-lived. Once the Civil War began in 1861, everything changed. Even though everyone in the family was exempt from military service, all of their employees were conscripted into the Confederate Army. And when Union soldiers reached Louisiana, they took most of the Garrett's cotton crops, too. By the time Garrett was 18 years old, his family's good fortune had vanished completely. However, the worst was yet to come. In 1867, his mother died at the age of 37. One year later, his father died after a long fight against alcoholism at the age of 46. By 1868, Pat Garrett had become an orphan. He was only 17 years old. And instead of some family heirloom or plot of land, all that his family left him was a mountain of debt. His father had upwards of $30,000 in unpaid loans, so he was forced to sell the plantation. Robbed of his parents, his land, and any future ambitions, Garrett grabbed his rifle and set off to find himself. As he turned his back on Claiborne Parish, he felt an intoxicating sense of freedom. Pat Garrett would spend the rest of his life chasing this high, the feeling that he didn't need to rely on anyone but himself. And with that, he headed west toward Texas. There is much speculation and storytelling that surrounds Pat Garrett's first few years in Texas. The only confirmed account is that Garrett settled in a town near Dallas. Then, in 1875, 25-year-old Garrett met a cattleman who needed help shepherding a herd towards Kansas. He liked the idea of becoming a cowboy, living life on the open road with no one keeping tabs on him. It was a real opportunity to leave his painful past behind. But the realities of cattle herding didn't quite match his expectations. This was hard work, and his years of privilege back in Louisiana had made him soft. He wasn't used to grueling labor. And it turns out he wasn't the only one who felt that way. This cowboy stuff, I don't know. It's not what it's cracked up to be. I don't know how much more of that I got left. I ain't been this tired in my whole life. Those cattle are too stubborn. It's a bad herd, I'm telling you. Did you see the way they seized up on that river crossing? Even if they waded through like it was nothing, this still isn't what I want. Don't you know what I mean? Where's the honor in this? Where's the prestige? You know, there's nothing keeping us here. Huh. I guess you're right. But where would we go? The answer was simple. Garrett knew how to farm, so he decided to go into business with another cowboy. Both of them sold their horses and bought up some land. They planted cotton and corn, but soon enough, Garrett found himself bored again. Only a few months after starting the farm, he chewed out his new business partner and hit the road. This was the first of many enemies that Pat Garrett would make throughout his life. 
After leaving the cotton and cornfields behind in 1876, he caught wind of a new and booming industry, the buffalo trade. It wasn't as exhausting as cow herding or as monotonous as farming, and it paid good money. Plus, Garrett was an excellent rifleman, which made him an ace on the hunting fields. But that turned out to be the easy part. After the buffaloes were killed, Garrett and his crew had to skin them and transport their massive hides to a wagon or a train car. This required a huge team of men and days of work. Most of the men Garrett worked with were very similar to him. They had no real family or connections to the outside world. They were outcasts, drinkers, gamblers, and societal rejects. And when they got together, there were plenty of nights spent laughing and telling stories around the fire. But there were also arguments, and it didn't take much for these spats to escalate into physical altercations. In many ways, Garrett's temper made him a perfect fit for this sort of environment, but he tended to take things one step too far. One night, a fellow buffalo hunter started antagonizing Garrett and found out just how extreme he could get. Tried washing off my handkerchief in that brook, and I swear, the thing is dirtier than it was before I tried cleaning it. Leave it to an Irishman to think that water could clean anything. Takes dirt to know dirt. Ain't that right, Pat? (laughs) You say that one more time. You look me in the eye and say that again. You got dirt in your ears too, Pat? Or just in your blood, on your face, and under your nails? (laughs) The two men started swinging at one another without a second's hesitation. After tussling on the ground for some time, the Irish worker freed himself from Garrett's grasp. He grabbed an axe with murder in his eyes. Garrett immediately picked up his pistol, and as the man ran at him with the axe raised over his head, he pulled the trigger. The bullet tore through the Irishman's torso. He collapsed and lay on the ground, wincing. He wasn't dead, but he would be soon. Garrett was stunned. He helped move the man onto a nearby cot and covered him with blankets. He did his best to tend to the bullet wound, but there wasn't much he could do. It seemed like the man was going to die right then and there. But he had enough strength for a few last words. Pat, I'm dying. I'm going to die. You killed me. I didn't know what to do. I'm sorry. I, I started it, didn't I? When I ran at you? Don't say anything. Just rest while you can. And with that, Garrett watched the Irishman die. At first, he didn't know what to do with himself. Despite his bravado, he had never killed a man before. He was scared. His boss told him he should turn himself in. Garrett knew he was right. He saddled up his horse and slowly rode towards the nearby town of Fort Griffin. As much as it pained him to think that his great ambitions might die alongside his co-worker... He knew that murder was wrong. He gingerly knocked on the door of the sheriff's office and confessed. But to Garrett's surprise, the sheriff in Fort Griffin didn't care. No one wanted to press charges, and the man didn't seem to have any family. 
So essentially, his death didn't matter. This was just the sort of thing that happened in Texas. So Pat Garrett quite literally got away with murder. And this moment changed him forever. Perhaps the hand of justice wasn't quite as swift as he'd thought. Perhaps he could continue to push the boundaries. It didn't seem like any of that mattered, as long as he got what he wanted. Coming up, Pat Garrett settles into a new home and embraces his dark side. What could be more shocking than uncovering the deep, dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Carter from the ParCast series, Conspiracy Theories. Every Monday and Wednesday, take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction and discover that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. From the government's link to Bigfoot and the otherworldly secrets of the Vatican, to the Grateful Dead's role in the spread of LSD, and more. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may just be outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now back to the story. After killing his crewmate in 1876, 26-year-old Pat Garrett tried to return back to life on the buffalo fields. But there was one big problem. The animals had been overhunted, and by the spring of 1878, the herds were almost gone. So Garrett decided it was time for yet another reinvention. With nothing to lose, he headed further west, to New Mexico. By the time 28-year-old Garrett trotted into Fort Sumner, New Mexico, in February of 1878... He looked nothing like the fresh-faced young man who once frolicked amongst the cotton fields in Louisiana. The harsh desert sun had hardened his skin and rendered it leathery tan. His hair was unkempt and a beard covered most of his face. He stood at an imposing six-foot-four. And it seemed like Garrett's personality had developed to match his imposing appearance. He gambled constantly drank heavily, and stopped at just about every brothel he came across. Lucky for him, Fort Sumner was not a place where people shied away from their vices. He quickly became acquainted with the high rollers, barflies, and sex workers who populated the city. It all seemed too good to be true. Nowhere to find work around here. Work? Sure, we got some of that. But why would you come around these parts for work? How do you mean? Firstly, you look like you've been worked straight into the ground. And second, 
How could you walk into a place like this and think of anything besides a stiff drink and a shot at playing a hand at that there card table? You make a compelling argument, Barkeep. And even though he never missed an opportunity to gamble, Garrett did eventually get to work. During that first year, he worked as a cowboy, raised hogs, and even briefly opened up a grocery store. This industriousness was all in pursuit of the cushy life he'd had in Louisiana. He was resolved to work his way back to the top, and no one was going to get in his way, not even the most wanted man in Fort Sumner. And strangely enough, that man just happened to be a kid, Billy the Kid. Born Henry McCarty in 1859, the kid had made a name for himself as an outlaw by the time he was just 15 years old. In 1878, he helped to form the Regulators, a band of cowboys who stole cattle and other pieces of property from the upper classes. During this time, he stole horses, killed anyone who stood in his way, and never lasted more than a few days in a jail cell before breaking free. His prolific crime sprees and hunger for power meant that the kid's name showed up in newspapers from the Southwest all the way to Boston. By the time Pat Garrett arrived in town, Billy was a mere 19 years old and approaching celebrity status. At the time being, the two coexisted, only knowing of one another by word of mouth. That is, until 1879, when Pat Garrett's wedding brought them together. When Garrett was 29, he met a charming young woman named Juanita Martinez. The two were married that same year. Both were notorious fixtures of the social scene at Fort Sumner, so it was something akin to a celebrity marriage. Their wedding was a real who's who of the rowdy New Mexico township. Naturally, the young gunslinger who was making headlines across the country was in attendance. As Garrett and his new wife took to the dance floor, he met Billy's eyes for the first time. He knew him from around town, but more so from the rumors that followed him and the regulators wherever they went. And although outlaws were nothing new in Fort Sumner, Billy and his posse had a certain air of prestige about them. Billy was a charismatic renegade, and Garrett was intrigued, but he also felt challenged. It was his wedding, after all. He wanted all eyes on him. Billy seemed to be hogging the spotlight, regaling the guests with his tales of robbery, gunfights, and prison escapes. Pat Garrett couldn't help but feel a tinge of jealousy. To be clear, these men weren't enemies, but by the next year, they would be, because Pat Garrett was about to become a lawman. In 1880, the people of nearby Lincoln County became fed up with their current sheriff. There had been a string of cattle rustlings in the area, and he didn't seem to be doing anything to stop them. The residents wanted a new sheriff, someone who wasn't afraid to do the dirty work, who could understand the plight of the common rancher. An influential cattleman nominated Pat Garrett for the position. He even wrote a letter about Garrett to the governor of New Mexico. He was a criminal, sure, and he'd even murdered, but maybe that's what it took to be Lincoln County Sheriff. Even though Garrett had no prior experience in law enforcement, his charisma and reputation as a no-nonsense cowboy eventually won him the election. He started his term off 
with a bullet, literally. He found the cattle rustlers who'd been plaguing in the county and had them killed within his first few months on the job. But being sheriff meant more than apprehending cattle thieves. In late 1880, the U.S. Treasury Department warned him that counterfeit money had flooded the Southwest. A hot spot for the fabricated currency was in Lincoln County, and most people could guess who was behind it. Billy the Kid. The moment he heard that name, Garrett was transported back to the day of his wedding. He remembered the spotlight shining just a little too brightly on Billy and his outlaw pals. He was all too happy to make the kid into public enemy number one. He was informed that Billy and his band of outlaws were heading toward the New Mexican Valley of Pecos, where they planned to hide out. It seemed like they'd caught wind of the Treasury Department's campaign and were trying to lay low. So Garrett got together a team and sought to find Billy and his men. They spent the next two months tailing them, covering almost the entirety of Lincoln County. They scoured every hideout, saloon, and ranch, but Billy seemed untraceable. Garrett may have had ambition, but he had only been sheriff for a few months. Billy had been doing this his entire life, and he had no trouble staying two steps ahead at all times. However, in December 1880, the 31-year-old lawman saw a change in his luck. While searching an area known as Los Portales, Garrett and his men stopped by a local ranch for a warm meal. They engaged in some light conversation with the owners, who eventually mentioned a few of the ranch's previous guests. We get all sorts rolling through these parts. Some are less pleasant than the others, but hey, it's always interesting. You don't say. In fact, believe it or not, we had Billy the Kid and his whole gang in here last night. They were going on and on about how they were being tailed by a bunch of lawmen and, uh... Wait, now hold on a second. Don't you tell me that they were talking about you. What are the odds? This desert feels smaller and smaller every day. You must be Pat Garrett, then. That's me. (laughs) I can't believe it. Well, I got some information for you. One of Billy's posse... Charlie something. uh, Started with a B. Charlie Bowdry. Been with him since the early days. You didn't hear it from me, but he wants to strike a deal. Every time Billy left the room to use the restroom or fill his plate, he wouldn't shut up about it. He's sick of the outlaw life. He wants out, Sheriff. I reckon if you get a hold of him, the two of you might be able to help one another out. It was the sort of chance encounter that every lawman dreamed of. Getting Charlie Bowdry to flip could end this whole thing in an instant. Garrett's men were able to get a hold of Bowdry and set a meeting for the two of them just a few days later, on December 9th, 1880. The two men met at a desolate forked road just east of Fort Sumner. And as Garrett stood watching Bowdry approach him from the distance... He couldn't help but feel as though his chase to find the kid was coming to a triumphant end. That is, until he saw a six-shooter shining on Bowdry's hip. You Furman, you trying to pull a fast one on me? You think I can't see that pistol? Then how am I supposed to know you weren't going to just shoot me on sight, huh? Your reputation precedes you, Sheriff. No outlaw in Fort Sumner would want to go to a meetup with Pat Garrett unarmed. I just want to talk. Then get to talking. 
You had us on the run for weeks. Months. Any idea the last time I slept in a real bed was? Ate a proper meal that wasn't at some dingy ranch house. I can't live like this anymore, Sheriff. Well then we've got a deal to make, don't we? I'll quit riding with Billy. I'll bury this six-shooter in the ground, never fire it again. No more rustling, no more counterfeit bills. All of it. I'll quit for good. You have my word. Gonna need more than that, Charlie. <sighs> Look, I'll even do some time in lockup. But I can't hurt my boys like that. I gotta protect Billy like he's protecting me all these years. You can respect that, right? You tell me where they are and you walk free. That's the deal, and it's not going to get better than that. If Garrett had been more willing to compromise, it's possible that the hunt for Billy the Kid would have ended that December morning. But Charlie Bowdry refused to give away any information. And as Garrett watched Bowdry ride off into the distance, the sheriff felt like his dreams of putting Billy the Kid behind bars were drifting further and further away as well. But Garrett hadn't given up quite yet. And it's a good thing he didn't. A mere 12 days later, the very same ranch owner gave the sheriff some valuable information. He knew where Billy and his posse were hiding out. A stone cabin in a remote area known as Stinking Springs. Garrett and his man immediately jumped into action. By 3 a.m. on December 22nd, 1880, they'd found the property and had it surrounded. Billy and his posse were most likely asleep, which gave the lawmen an element of surprise. Garrett's dreams of grandeur had never felt so close, but his deputies were split on what to do next. All right, I say we kick down the doors with our rifles raised. We let those fools know that we mean business. We hold them in the cabin till daylight and then escort them back to Sumner. I'm not trying to get into a gunfight with someone like the kid. We gotta be smart about this. I say we wait out here until morning. One of them is sure to come outside. And what then? Ask nicely if they would like to be arrested? Look, we're going to be shooting regardless. But at least out here, we have cover. We have a strategy. In there, it'll be mayhem. A bloodbath. Fine. Bundle up, boys. It's going to be a long night. But remember one thing. If you see Billy, if you see anyone, shoot. And shoot to kill. Understood? A bitter chill ripped through the night as the sheriff and his men lay hidden in the bushes surrounding Billy's hideout. One of his men even developed frostbite on his foot. Finally, after what felt like an eternity, the sun began to rise. The morning light illuminated the great rocky expanse. And soon enough, they spotted a male figure inside the cabin. Hey, hey, Pat, look. I see him. He's got the sombrero and everything. Well, remember what I said earlier? Shoot to kill. Let's wrap this up, boys. Pat Garrett aimed and shot seven rounds through the window. Screams could immediately be heard from inside. Charlie? They killed Charlie! Why would they kill Charlie? The man Garrett had just killed was not Billy the Kid. It was his would-be informant, Charlie Bowdry. He'd suffered multiple bullet wounds, but still had some life left in him. 
With blood pouring from his abdomen, he walked toward Garrett with his hands up. The sheriff locked eyes with the man. His face was white as a ghost and his body was riddled with bullet wounds. It was clear that Pat Garrett had claimed his second life. And much like the first, he took the victim by the hand and laid him down on a blanket. He watched as the life left Charlie Bowdry's eyes. The sheriff had killed another innocent man. He felt a rush of remorse, but he knew that if he could just nab Billy the Kid, this could all be worth it. Coming up, Pat Garrett has his final encounter with the young outlaw. And now back to the story. Soon after Charlie Bowdry was shot, Garrett and his men heard digging sounds coming from inside of the cabin. It seemed like Billy the Kid and his crew were trying to create an underground tunnel. Surging with adrenaline, Pat Garrett hatched a rather genius plan. Those men in there? They're bums. They aren't soldiers. They're drunks and losers. They don't have the fortitude for a standoff like this. I bet you they're hungry and tired, so why don't we make ourselves some food? See if the smell of bacon and coffee can bring him out here. Not long after they put the food onto the fire, one of Billy's men shouted that they were ready to surrender. After months on the run, it seemed like the comforting smell of pork fat was too much for them to bear. Soon, all four of them came out with their hands up. The plan worked like a charm. A pan of bacon had successfully put one of the Southwest's most notorious criminals in Garrett's custody. He transported Billy and his men to Santa Fe, where they were to await trial. And after that, Pat Garrett thought he would never see Billy the Kid again. How wrong he was. With Billy and his henchmen locked up in Santa Fe, Garrett returned to Lincoln County on December 26, 1880. Local papers heralded him as a hero. Garrett felt like a king in Lincoln County, and the people were happy to have him. He was the first sheriff in a while that was beloved by the common folk and aristocrats alike. He could keep the property and cattle that belonged to the wealthy safe from rustlers, and his rough demeanor made his fellow cowboys and members of the working class feel like he was one of their own. For a while, Pat Garrett felt like he'd gotten everything he'd ever wanted. Power, prestige, and wealth. But things were about to get a lot more complicated. Billy the Kid's trial ended in April of 1881. The jury in Santa Fe gave him the death penalty. The execution was scheduled for May 13th, and most crucially for Garrett, it was supposed to take place in his jurisdiction, Lincoln County. Pat Garrett didn't see anything wrong with sending Billy to the stocks. In fact, he may have even been excited to see his adversary die in the public square. But still, he had reason to be worried. Billy the Kid had a distinct reputation for breaking out of any jail he was put into. And if Garrett lost custody of him now, when he was so close to execution, it would be an incredible embarrassment. He assigned two of his colleagues to guard the kid and clearly told them that they could never let the 22-year-old gunslinger out of their sight. 
In the evening of April 28th, one of the guards, Deputy Marshal Bob Ollinger, took the rest of the prisoners across the street for their dinner. This meant that the kid was left behind with only one man watching him. If there was ever an opportunity to make a break for it, this was it. And Billy never turned down an opportunity. Hey, I gotta take a leak like it's no one's business. What do you say? I don't know, Bill. Ollinger said not to move you until he got back. Can't you just go in the corner? Oh, come on. What am I, a dog? I know I'm being put down in a few weeks, but can't you at least give me a few humane moments while I'm still kicking? All right, I suppose. Escorting Billy the Kid on a bathroom break was the last thing the guard would ever do. As they were walking down the stairs, the kid swung around and struck him with the heavy handcuffs that were bound to his wrists. The blow was so severe that it fractured the guard's skull. The two fell down the stairs and onto the floor, and eventually Billy grabbed the man's revolver. The guard made a mad dash for the door, but the kid was a fast shot. The bullet ripped through his body and killed him instantly. The 22-year-old outlaw ran to the sheriff's office and grabbed a shotgun. Then he raced out to the front of the building, right in time to run into Ollinger, who came to see what all the ruckus was about. The kid spotted him and immediately fired. 36 buckshots barreled out of the large firearm and killed Garrett's deputy instantly. And just like that, Billy the Kid disappeared off into the desert. While all of this was happening, Pat Garrett was collecting taxes and fees in the nearby town of White Oaks. He caught wind of the news and began the long trek back to Lincoln County. He rode back into town, a shadow of himself. The man he had devoted endless hours to capturing had disappeared into thin air, and two of his best men were dead. And even though Garrett's confidence was wavering, he did his best to move forward. First, he organized a search party to follow Billy. But there wasn't much of a trail to be found. The hours of searching turned into days, and before he knew it, entire months had passed with no sign of Billy. Pat Garrett felt powerless. It really seemed like this young upstart had gotten the best of him. After the search hit the three-month mark, he gave up and retreated to his ranch. When the people of Lincoln County heard that their sheriff had given up, they began to turn on him, too. It began to look like his job was in jeopardy. He knew he needed to do something big to win back the county. In the summer of 1881, he found a way to do just that. It started with a letter from an old business associate. Pat, writing to you with some serious information. I have it on good authority that Billy the Kid was spotted at a home in Fort Sumner. I believe the house belongs to a man named Pete Maxwell. I hope this finds you well. This information was confirmed by a number of sources, and so Pat Garrett decided it was time to return to his old stomping grounds. Around midnight on July 14, 1881, Pat and his two deputies arrived at the house where they believed Billy the Kid was hiding out. They camped outside and waited for some sign of life. Eventually, Garrett noticed a silhouette. There were two men inside, talking to each other, and one of them sure looked like Billy. 
Garrett and his men moved around to the side of the house where they could get a better view of the windows. The sheriff noticed that the doors to the home were open, so he crept inside, hoping to find some answers or maybe even Billy himself. Garrett entered the home and found the second man asleep in the master bedroom. Hey, up and at him, buddy. Huh? What? Where is he? Who are you? I'll be asking the questions. The kid. I know he's here. I, uh... Just then, a man peered in through the doorway to see what the commotion was. What's all this noise about? It's you. Now wait just one second. Uh, Let's talk this out. Just like that, Billy the Kid was dead. And this chapter of Pat Garrett's life came to a close. And compared to what awaited the 31-year-old lawman, the hunt for Billy the Kid seemed like the high point of his life. Once the kid was dead and gone, Pat Garrett's life fell apart. And it wouldn't be long before he met the same fate that he brought Billy on that July night in New Mexico. Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with part two of Pat Garrett. For more information on Pat Garrett, amongst the many sources we used, we found To Hell on a Fast Horse by Mark Lee Gardner and Cold Case, The Assassination of Pat Garrett by W.C. Jameson to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Spencer Fox, with writing assistance by Kylie Harrington and Giles Hofseth. Fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Kai Jordan, Joe Hernandez, Julian Smith, and Charlie Wess. Unsolved Murders stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. <laughs>